Everyone, this is PJ Ewing. I'm here with Dave Kikoski, jazz musician, jazz piano man from New York, the New York, New Jersey area. We do not know each other well. I saw Dave play three weeks ago at a club called Mesro here in Manhattan in the West Village. And it made such an impression on me that I ran up to him. Right, Dave? And I said, hey, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, welcome to Lester the Nightfly, Dave. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for inviting me. This is cool. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to talk about jazz, everyone, and we're going to get a little education. We're going to get to know Dave's work. It's really beautiful. He's got 100 recordings, and he's still going strong, worked with some amazing people. But, you know, aside from that, Dave, and it's all impressive, and it's a wonderful list of people that you know and you've worked with, I like your work. I like your writing. I like the stuff that you've you've put together. When you're the leader of the band and the group and the record, I'm I'm just I'm just really excited about hearing your work in addition to some of the stuff that you've got for us. Oh, thank you. Well, that's that's always nice to hear because you know I've been lucky to play with many great people, but I enjoy doing my you know my own thing. I saw your face light up. When you were playing, I saw the joy and I immediately whispered to my, like, do you see, do you see the love? Do you see the joy going on there? And it was you. Oh, <laughs> cool, I, cool. Really, it was gorgeous. I yeah. really, really admire what you're doing. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Yeah. So you're, you're originally from uh, Milltown, New Jersey. It sounds like jazz was part of your life from very early days, right? That's right. Well, my, my dad was a, uh, a part-time musician. He played a few different instruments. You know, he had like one job a week on the weekends. He, you know, did weddings and bar mitzvahs, but very jazz-oriented uh, jobs. But he also did, you know, Italian weddings, uh, Irish weddings, and hmm. bar mitzvahs and the whole bit. But he liked Count Basie. He liked uh, Duke Ellington. So he was showing me that kind of stuff and Boogie Woogie when I was, uh, you know, six or seven years old. He started me right away with jazz music and classical music. I started pretty much with it, with with all kinds of music. He 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 had a book that had everything from uh, Beatles songs to Duke Ellington. So is this you and your father around the piano or around the record player? Or yeah, both? no, not the record player. We'd be around the piano, and then he would pull out his clarinet and and play something uh, like Benny Goodman style tune, like you know, or we'd play Perdido or Duke Ellington. Uh, and and yeah, so we and then he started bringing me on jobs when I was quite young, ten or eleven. We'd play at these little bars, and and I would bring uh, my Fender Rhodes and and accompany him while he would play tenor saxophone or clarinet. Okay. Piano I used at my house yeah. was was a Baldwin Baby Grand. Mm -hmm. it, the bars we played 
I, if they had a piano, I would use whatever they had or bring my Fender Rhodes. Hmm. So you were doing gigs really early, it sounds like. Sort yeah, of. yeah. And I, at the same time, very, very early, like probably 12, 12, 13. You know, I wasn't old enough to drink in these bars. Mm -hmm. But, you know, since I would be there with my father, you know, and uh, they they let me, even though I was underage, they let me in because I was with daddy, my father. <laughs> and uh, I have a lot of cousins. And so my father taught them how to play guitars and drums so we had like a rock band at the same time so i was doing jazz and rock at the same time you know with the, with my cousins so we're, so we're talking the mid 70s through the end of the 70s kind of thing right right okay kikoski am i pronouncing that correct that's correct kikoski and that's polish that's polish does that influence you in any way your cultural well, background or since my father for a time was my music teacher and some of the and then some of the jobs we would play we did some polish weddings where my father was pretty good at polkas so mm. in that sense he was teaching me polkas at the same time i was learning you know some italian songs some irish songs as well as jazz so like i said it was all it was it was a lot of different kinds of music all at the same time with depending on the jobs i would play or if i was playing you know the, the high school dance with the rock and roll band. Obviously, mm. we're not going to do polkas with that. Mm. So it really depends on what jobs I would be doing. You end up after this informal, it seems, education, getting a formal education at Berklee College of Music. Did you have to relearn stuff or was it, was it just sort of additive to what you were doing well, as a young person? Yeah, there was an in-between that I should probably mention. Oh. My father brought me to one of his teachers when I was around 13 or 14, when I was in high school, he, he brought me to one of his teachers who was a professor at Manhattan School of Music in New York. Mm. So, and, and he obviously he had a formal education. So he started getting, he, he got me into analyzing uh, Bartok, um, Bach, uh, Beethoven, and and uh, he started uh, talking to me about transcribing and analyzing Charlie Parker and, and Bebop and that stuff. So uh, that was that was fairly formal since he was a professor at a, at a college. So I did that when I was around 14, 15. Then by the time I got to Berkeley, I was well into, uh, uh, fairly well into uh, John Coltrane and and uh, Charlie Parker and that kind of stuff. Then you went to Berkeley, okay. Yeah, and jazz sort of one, jazz sort of one. But I mean, even my jazz stuff is very much influenced from everything else, which would, everything from classical music to rock and roll to to everything. So it's all kind of a, and jazz, jazz, you know, the way I always thought of jazz is it's, it's like, uh, just a mixture of many different things throughout throughout the history of music. How do you describe jazz? When someone asks me about the word jazz or the meaning of jazz, first thing that comes to mind is improvisation. To me, jazz is in the moment, improvisation, playing something you never played before rather than jazz. Uh, some people say jazz is a a style or uh, 
a vocabulary of musical ideas, which yes, it is. But for me, the main the main thing about jazz is improvisation mm-hmm. and uh, being spontaneous. That's mm-hmm. the way I look at it. And is that why you love it? Is it uh, the freedom? Yeah, can- I, yeah. It, that's why I love it. The freedom. The freedom is is why I love it. The freedom. I could also turn it around the opposite direction and say that it also is a style of musical ideas, and and it's it's a vocabulary, and it's a history of American music. Is another the other way I look at? It. Is it American? Then we can just say that flat out. I, I would I would say it's primarily American, but it is uh, worldwide. So it's really both. I think of it as uh, the the assimilation uh, is America, but the influences are worldwide. If that makes any sense. Is the jazz journey because there, you know you can watch Ken Burns and we can go all the way back in time and find the roots and. And, and right. get to today. Is it still evolving? Is it still flourishing? Or is it now in everything? Has it been absorbed by all the other forms of popular music and now it's sort of hiding amongst the other genres? How would you navigate oh, that question? Uh, okay, all right, let me see what I can come up with. That's <laughs> that's, a, that's a interesting question, I must say. But um, it's a good question. It's a difficult question. Yeah. But I will uh, attempt. You're going to try. Thank you. Thank you for taking uh, that. I think it will continually evolve as long as this kind of music is still played and the the attention is still put on improvising and creating something spontaneously jazz will continue i don't know if i would use the word flourish because Mm -hmm. you know in a way it never really flourished i think jazz will always only be for a select few in fact i think as far as i know studying the history of jazz i think it was pretty popular during the 30s even though uh the economy was 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 in trouble maybe the 20s but generally speaking uh the era of the big bands like tommy dorsey uh stuff like that was very popular and i don't know if it's ever been as popular as that since that time so it's never really flourished but i i think it will continue to thrive i would use the word thrive it will last as long as people keep improvising and audiences uh continue to love to hear people improvise i would like to add something to my original statement and i would say that let's say just because a group improvises a lot in a tune doesn't automatically i'm sort of contradicting myself a bit but it doesn't automatically mean that it's jazz but it is much closer if they're not if they're not Mm -hmm. in other words like if you hear a cream record from the 60s right remember cream with eric clapton okay they were great great tunes it was rock and roll coming right out of the blues you know just the same way jazz does Right, mm-hmm. rock and roll in some ways is related to jazz because it's coming out of the blues. Right, I probably wouldn't call Eric Clapton's long solos in in the in during the Cream days. I wouldn't call it jazz, 
um, even though there's a lot of improvisation, just because um, they're playing very loud electric guitars through amplifiers, through amplifiers, and the drummer is not really swinging as such. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the instrumentation and the beat, even if they're improvising a lot, I wouldn't call it, really call it jazz, just because of, uh, because the beat is kind of a rock and roll beat that they're improvising over. But someone like Frank Zappa, for example, remember Frank Zappa? Sure. Uh, Yeah, someone like Frank Zappa, he actually had jazz musicians in his band during certain periods and so that would be that's a little easier to call uh, very jazz influence because uh, someone like George Duke great one of my favorite keyboard players was was uh, was improvising in a very jazzy way at times and they even went into swing beats occasionally I don't so know I George a, Duke that, who's, who's George Duke George Duke is what was a jazz piano player who also played funk, um, uh, also played funk, rock and roll, and jazz. All like, oh. uh, like, if, like he would go on the road during the seventies. He was a great jazz pianist. He played with Cannibal Adderley for a few a year or two, and then he'd go on the road with Frank Zappa for a year or two, and then he came back he played with miles davis and he also played with sonny rollins but he also played with rock and roll groups so he's i try you know i try to think of myself in that kind of zone i like the idea that somebody can compose and play music uh in let's say a rock and roll or a funk setting but uh, authentically and then also play a a straight ahead jazz gig and and play that authentically Hmm. you know is jazz your primary interest right now? I mean, is it is it always jazz, or do you branch out into other forms much yourself? Well, if you go through all my my solo recordings, uh, the majority of it it's jazz. But but um, as I was hinting to earlier, there are elements of funk and rock and roll in there. For example. Uh, I've recorded, uh, the title of it is called Surf's Up, which is a song by, by the Beach Boys, written mm-hmm. by Brian Wilson. Mm-hmm. And that's the title of my record. It's basically jazz the way we're playing it. And uh, I've recorded some Frank Zappa music. And I actually have a band. We haven't done anything recently, but I did four albums with a co-led band called Beatle Jazz. And uh, it's it's right. It's, we did four CDs of uh, of all Beatle music. In fact, we were together longer than the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, four D, four CDs of all Beatle music. Uh, let's go. Let's let's get into this terrific list. Thanks for honoring me with those questions. Um, the good. the first track is this is something you wrote that we get to yeah. listen to. This is called Shadow. Ocean of Time is the record by Billy Hart, but you wrote the song. Yeah, let's just take a listen and then we'll, we'll talk about it on the other side.
Lester the Nightfly is made in conjunction with WPVM-FM 103.7 in Asheville, North Carolina. Our show is produced at PJDJ Studios in Lower Manhattan, New York City. I'm constantly working on my, uh, my compositions. Sometimes I go, I go long periods of time where I'm just playing songs that I've already written, but this was a, a, a time of inspiration. I don't remember the exact year. One of my favorite composers uh, of all time and jazz musicians is Wayne Shorter. He's been a big influence on my, my jazz playing as well as my compositions. In my book, he's one of the, the top composers of the 20th century. So this one has a, a little bit of a flavor of Wayne Shorter. I didn't steal uh, anything particular from, from uh, any of his songs that I, that I could think of. But the flavor, the flavor of his harmonies is there. One thing I learned from Wayne that I utilize in this composition, Shadow, is sometimes the, I use the melodies, but in the bass line rather than in the main piano line or horn line or vocal line. The melody is way on the bottom in the bass register, either on the bass register of the piano or the bass register of, a, of electric bass or acoustic bass. Then there's also another melody that the horns play. It's got a lot of counterpoint. Most songs are just one main mel- melody and then the bass just plays the, the roots of the chord, generally speaking. But I'm turning it on the other side where sometimes the melodies, the horns and piano play are an accompaniment to what the bass plays. So it's kind of turning it on upside down, the, the, the usual compositional approach. And, and Wayne Shorter does that a lot. And so I, I did that on this song. And I think it, uh, it, it gives it a sort of a unique flavor. Very unique. One of the words I wrote when I was listening to it. This is 1997, oh, right? 97. Right. Right. Mark Feldman violin. Right. Okay. Right. And then Santi right. Debriano is right. the bassist, right? That's right. Right. I've got yeah. some notes in front of me. I got my secret weapon. I, I, I that's the violin. I, li- I listened to this uh, multiple times. And okay. because I was struck in the middle, like, wait a minute, what's going on? There's a violin in the middle of my jazz song right now. What, exactly. where, did, where did that happen? And it was hiding because right. it was, you were using it early, but it, it was right. kind of subtle. I didn't, couldn't quite really pick it out. And right. then whammo, right. holy right. cow. And it's gorgeous. Just gorgeous. Right, right. You probably noticed this one features uh, Chris Potter on, yes. on soprano. I think he plays soprano on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm, uh, this was a set band. The musicians you just Santi and Chris and Dave Fusinski, kind of a young all-star band. I mean, we were all pretty young. And and the leader of the band, obviously, is Billy Hart. Billy heard this song. He heard it on my record. I recorded this song with Al Foster and Essiet Essiet on bass, Al Foster on drums. And Billy Hart was driving in his car and he heard it and he said, and then he heard my name, Dave Kikoski. And he said, Oh, I know Dave Kikoski. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he can, I didn't know he can compose. I knew he could play, but I didn't know he can compose like that. So then when Billy started his band, he called me to join 
and then Chris Potter and the rest of them and Mark Feldman on violin. Most of us get a little, a little chorus of improvisation. As far as the violin, Mark Feldman was in the band and, and uh, Billy wanted to have uh, a very original sounding band. And we were playing around New York a lot then. The violin was just part of Billy's imagination. And Mark, Mark is an incredible violinist. And Chris Potter, of course. I remember Chris, Chris played the tune. He just looked at the music like, and within 30 seconds, he had it completely mastered. And some of the harmonies are, are kind of bizarre. Like I said, the bass notes having a, a prominent role and then the chords accompanying the bass notes. Chris, he just played it uh, as well as Mark on violin. They just, they just read like uh, they mastered it in like 30 seconds. And I remember um, Billy Hart listening back and I was saying, well, do you want us to do it again? And he says, no. I said, there's a few little things we might want to fix. He says, no, don't change a thing. It sounds great. I said, what about this? What about that? He says, no, that's the best part. Mm -hmm. So he was very open-minded. I was struck by this. It's really, I, what a way to start our, our show tonight uh, as well. Oh, thank you. Uh, but I'll tell you, your solo is gorgeous. And I wrote this down and then found out a little fact. So I wrote okay. down big piano solo, Dave, reminiscent of Pat Metheny. Ah, uh, you were playing with phrases. There's repetition. And I, I wanted to say thank you because the way that you were browsing over certain little passages yeah. over and over, taking different cracks at them, you made it so much more accessible where we could follow what you were doing. Then I read later that you actually, you knew Pat earlier, was it at Berkeley? Before, or? before this, yeah. yeah. In other words, um, I was doing a trio gig near Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Actually, it was uh, Inman Square, Cambridge, Massachusetts, but very close to Berkeley College in Boston. And uh, I had a steady gig there. Pat Metheny heard me play there and he liked my playing he came back the next Monday with a little Fender Twin amp and his guitar. Pat was like just blowing up then, you know, he was, he was like becoming like a superstar. His first record, uh, Bright Size Life, just came out and they were playing that. I used to hear that on the radio all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, of course, I knew Pat and, and uh, I didn't really have any of his records, but I used to hear it on the radio. And then he came, he said, do you mind if I play a tune? And I said, oh, please, please come up and join us. And he, he ended up playing like three sets with us. Oh. The whole, he played the whole <laughs> night with us. And he, we just kept playing tune after tune. I said, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I have enough money to pay you or something. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. I just want to, I just want to, if it's okay, uh, is it okay if I stay and play the whole, the whole job with you? And I said, oh, I'd be honored. And he just played so well. I was like, wow. Really? I never heard him. I didn't, he didn't sound like this on the radio. But I was like hearing him play blues. He was playing Charlie Parker songs, you know, Coltrane songs, everything. All the all my repertoire. We just played through. We played through all the standard tunes, and that was such fun. So then I started listening to his records, and I was very influenced by his compositions also. And I, I really like Lyle Mays too, the uh, the keyboard player. Oh yeah, the Pat Metheny group. Lyle Mays was is also one of my one of my 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 oh, favorites. I, 
Dave, yeah. you know he's got a, a posthumous record coming out. I think it's this week. Do you I know, know. This? He just pa- He just passed, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love I love Lyle. I, I got to get the new record. When I can't out. wait myself. I do. Dave do and I had our conversation in early August 2021. And in the time in between that recording and now the publication of this interview, they did release the record Eberhard. It is Lyle May's final piece. It's 13 minutes long. And guess what? You get to hear it right here. It is spectacular. I'm not going to go into any detail about this record, this recording. You really should just go to LyleMays.com and check it out. Here is Eberhard featuring Lyle Mays.
you may be listening right now to one of these bold and innovative radio stations. WHPW 97.3 FM in Harpswell, Maine. KYGT 103.9 and 102.7 FM, The Goat in Clear Creek, Colorado. Jeff Tain Watts and I are old friends. I've known him since Berkeley, and we, we've been good friends ever since the days of Berkeley. So I'm on a bunch of Jeff's, Jeff's records. He's on a bunch of my records. At the time of this recording, I did a tour with Jeff of Japan. We played at the, uh, I think, the Blue Note of the Cotton Club over there. And Christian McBride was in the band playing bass. And I remember Christian said, oh, I want to do your next record. I'm putting my bid in for your next record, Kakoski." And I said, oh, you want to do my record? Cool. I'd love if, if you're available, I'd love to have you. So I got Christian and Tame. And when I called Tame to do the recording, I said, I like that tune of yours, Mr. JJ. I'd like to, I changed it around a little bit. Uh, with your kind permission, I'd like to, to do it on my record. He's like, great, right? Super yeah. cool. I mean, Christian McBride, I saw another rabbit hole. I went I went down to, like, I did not understand how big uh, Christian has become. I mean, oh, he's a, yeah, he's a dear superstar. God. <laughs> I mean, he's the list, Herbie Hancock and Paul McCartney. I mean, dear yeah. Lord. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Renee Fleming from the World of Opera, Kathleen Battle. My, 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 my God. I, I, yeah. That's a whole topic for another show, I think. Christian oh yeah, no, Christian. Christian is he's one of the you know the great bass players of 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 our generation. Yeah. Okay, let's hear it, Mr. JJ. This is from your record, composed by Jeff Tain Watts. Can't wait to share it. Let's let's go now.
So that was Mr. JJ. The record is called Consequences. It's by Dave Kikoski. The music was composed by Jeff Tane Watts. We got to know Dave a little bit on this first leg of a, what I believe is a three-part journey through Dave's collection, as well as music that he's bringing to us from some famous sources. Upcoming in the next episode is Promise from the record Enter This Spirit by Bob Berg. This is written by Chick Corea. Satellite, it's from the record Persistent Dreams, that's by Dave. Perdido, this is a famous track. It's Charlie Parker's Jazz at Massey Hall in Canada. That's an amazing event. We'll talk about that. Steps, and that's by Roy Haynes. We'll also hear Pursuance. That's from A Love Supreme by John Coltrane. All that will happen next week in part two of our three-part series with Dave Kikoski. This has been a PJ DJ production. To learn more about Dave, go to davekikoski.com. To learn more about Lester the Nightfly and this series, visit lesterthenightfly.com.